Amen. Amen. First Peter chapter three, as we continue our series in the book of first Peter, first Peter chapter three, while you're turning there, I would encourage you. Uh, I know a lot of you, uh, are talking about it too, and and I'm glad it's been such an encouragement to you. But just a reminder that this Tuesday, uh, our Bible study, the message that God has laid on my heart, I think will just so encourage and strengthen you. So if if it's at all possible to make it out on Tuesday night, 7 o'clock, or listen to the podcast at some time, I think it would just really, really lift you up and, and refresh and encourage you Uh, as we continue our study on Tuesdays in the book of Revelation. So again, Peter here is writing to Christians and he's sharing with us the things that he's learned through his walk with God and his spiritual growth and how important it is uh, in all aspects of our life that we are growing and that we are getting into the word. And he's talked to us already about the fact that as we look at our lives and as we look at eternity and we think about investing in eternity, that he wants to remind us that there's only two things really on this side of eternity, on this side of glory, that are eternal. And so any investment in those two things are really worth their while. And the one obviously is God's word. The second one is human beings, relationships, because people and our souls uh, will be alive throughout eternity. And so he's really reminding us and weaving these things in throughout his, his message. So when he comes to first Peter three, he's talking to us once again about relationships and why are relationships to God so important. And we're going to get to that in a little bit, but I do want to go down through this great passage. And certainly it, He starts out talking to wives and to husbands, but I told you guys last week, the principles that are contained in these verses to wives and husbands really can be applied to all relationships. You and I want to have healthy relationships, then the principles for how to do relationships God's way are contained in these first nine verses we're going to look at this morning from 1 Peter chapter 3. So what I'm going to do is go down through these nine verses and sort of try to keep a little bit of a pace because then I want to end on some general, again, reasons of why relationships are so important and why even here at the Oasis, our emphasis always is to all those who come and want to be a part of our church family. And we want to, you know, welcome more and more people to be part of this family if they want to be this spiritual family is make sure that you make your relationships with your brothers and sisters in Christ a high priority because God makes our relationships a high priority. Well, let's start out with the wives. He says, in the same way, before he even gets to talk specifics, in the same way as what? And he's going to mention this again in verse 7 to the husbands, okay? In the same way, in the context that he's just talked about Jesus Christ, The one who committed himself to the Father. The one that followed through with the Father's will, not his own will. The one who was an example for us. Who left us footprints and impressions, if you will, to follow. He's basically saying, then keep following Jesus in these ways. 
even as wives, even as husbands, even as brothers and sisters in Christ, even as friends, whatever, in the same way that Jesus laid down this motto and example to follow, here's what I want you to remember. Wives, be subject to your own husbands. The word basically is a military term. It means to willingly arrange yourself under God's order of doing things, you see. It's not something that's done to a person. It's something that the person does on their own. So obviously in a marriage that's healthy, it's not a situation where the husband always goes around reminding his wife, you know, you should be submissive and all that kind of stuff. No. That's not the way to do it. It is the wife, just as we've already talked about, Peter's used this same word to all Christians. Because we're all responsible. Husbands, same thing. In a sense, it's a voluntary selflessness is what it's describing. That it's not going to be about me. If I'm going to make relationships go in my life, if I'm going to make relationships healthy, I understand that self can kill it. And so I've got to learn real early that I've got to lay self down and I've got to voluntarily be selfless in my relationships. And as far as God's order of how he says, this is how I created relationships to go. Here's how you will get the most out of your relationships in this life. Here's how you will be most fulfilled and satisfied. Here's how you will maintain my blessing and favor on these relationships is to do them my way. And so he says, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Then he says, then even if some are disobedient, are resistant to the word of God. In other words, you may be in a situation where hopefully you didn't go in marrying an unbeliever because we're already counseled in the scriptures not to do that. But let's say you both got married as unbelievers and later on in your marriage, Uh, you know, you became a Christian as a wife. How then are you supposed to navigate that situation with an unbelieving husband? Well, notice he says, then even if some are disobedient to the word, they will be won over without a word by the way you live. This word won over, these words won over are really important. It's really what Peter's been talking to us about as Christians. Why God places us in strategic positions out there in the world so that we can be a witness. It's because he wants us, hopefully, by the way we live our lives, to win people over to the gospel. To to make the Christian life and following Jesus so admirable, so attractive, so appealing that people want it, you see. And that's what the concept that he's saying here. He says, wives, you're in a real strategic position with an unbelieving husband. You can win them over. But here's the key. The words win over in the original language literally mean to acquire through effort and investment. In other words, he's saying, now wives, or to any of us in relationships, relationships will not be healthy They will not grow. They will not be strong if there's no effort and investment in those relationships. There's always got to be. In any good relationship, effort and investment on both parties. 
That's what makes it. And that's why I encourage Christians. Christians, you know, you can't sit back and say, well, I just don't have any Christian friends. Or, you know, I, how much effort and how much investment are you putting in to forging those friendships and relationships? And that's what Peter would say. That's what God would say. It takes all of us being willing to put the effort. And again, we live in a world today with the whole easy button. It's like we want to sit back and we just think relationships are going to happen. No. One of the things Peter is saying is worthwhile relationships, whether they're with God or with any human being, takes effort and investment. We need to work at relationships. And that's what Peter's reminding wives of. That's how you can maybe eventually win over that husband is through the effort and investment. Again, not so much by what you say. He's not saying don't say anything, but he's saying it's not primarily going to be by what you say, but how you live. Folks, that could be true of us as Christians, again, in our witnessing. It's primarily not going to be, we're not going to win people over to Christ primarily by what we say. It's going to be by them observing how we live. And doing it over the long haul, not just when things are good in our life, as Peter's told us about, but some of the greatest ways and the opportunities we have to really win people over is when we're suffering, as we talked about last week, when we're going through really hard times. That's when people who don't have Christ are going to watch and see, is this faith good for the hard times or is this faith just something that's good when everything goes okay? Then notice what he goes on to say. When they see, verse 2, your pure and reverent conduct. Again, talking about our, our conduct. Let your beauty not be external, the braiding of hair, wearing of gold jewelry, or fine clothes, but the inner person of the heart, the lasting beauty of a gentle and tranquil spirit. Now, gals, listen. The Bible, nor Peter, is against you fixing yourself up. Okay? Let's just go there, okay? Not what he's saying. What he's telling wives, gals, is don't make the primary focus of your beauty always be external, always be outward. He's saying realize that that inner beauty is more important in the long run. And therefore, when he uses terms like braiding of hair and gold and all that, in Peter's day, that would have been something that would have been extravagant. That would have been something that was costly, excessive. And so what he's simply saying is, not that gals shouldn't get themselves, you know, made up if they want to and, and, and concentrate a little bit on the external. Guys appreciate that, right, if we're honest. It's the idea that, but don't make that the primary focus of your life. Don't get to the point where you're extravagant and excessive about external things. Because at the end of the day, the disposition, the spirit that all of us are developing on the inside is going to be what's most attractive and most lasting in our lives. Because we know that as we age, no matter what we do to the external, we're going to go through the aging process. But the internal is something that actually can get stronger and better throughout our life. That's why even Paul said, you know, he said, uh, though my outward man is perishing, the inner man can be renewed day by day. 
And in a strange sort of way, even though physically on earth, we will continue to age. And externally, we may not be what we were when we were, you know, in our 20s. That internally, I can become more beautiful as I get older. And I can have this great disposition, even when I'm 70 and 80, that maybe I didn't have when I was 20. Now, if you're around my family, though, my family will tell you, just got this saying that a cranky old person has usually been a cranky young person. Okay? But there's hope. We can change if we let God deal with that inner spirit. So that's what he's saying here. Then he goes on in verse 5. For in the same way, the holy women of old who hoped in God who were confident, counting on God long ago, adorned themselves by being subject to their husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham. Now, the word obeyed here just means to be a listener. He's saying, gals, I know you got a lot to say, and that's okay. But learn to be a good listener. That's what that word obey really means. Because I can't really follow through with something unless I'm willing to listen. Well, obviously, that's a good principle for husbands, being a good listener. We're going to get to that, by the way. Uh, That's a good principle for any relationship, any friendship. Learning to be good listeners and really capture the heart of what people are trying to communicate. To be attentive to each other. And then the next phrase, calling him Lord. Gals, here's what that means. It simply means... Knowing what God's will is, especially in the home between husbands and wives, invite your husband to lead. That's what that means. Invite your husband. Let him know as a wife that you want your husband to be the leader that God designed husbands to be in the home. And so can I say real quickly, even though we haven't really technically got to husbands yet, oh, husbands, be the leaders in your home, God has called us to be. Stand up and be the spiritual leaders and really just the leaders. It doesn't mean that men are better than women. Again, this is just God's design to keep order in the home and in society, if you will. By the way, let me say this real quick. You'll notice here in this passage of Scripture that God is talking to wives and husbands. Can I say... That's how God defines marriage. God doesn't define marriage the way the world is defining marriage. God defines marriage as a wife and a husband. And though the world may say, well, that's not the way we define marriage any longer, that doesn't make it any less true. All right, let me go on with that. So, he's saying, gals... I know that, you know, part of the fall, according to Genesis, is that that there will be that bent in gals to be the leader of the home. And especially with passive husbands. But he says, fight that. Encourage your husband to be the leader. Pray for him to be the leader of the home. This is how God designed those roles to be. Just like Sarah. Then he goes on to say this. 
Like Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, you become her children. You enter into a new state of spiritual growth when you do what is good and have no fear or hesitation in doing so. He's basically saying to wives, to all of us about these principles, don't hesitate to put these principles into practice. God will bless you and favor you for it. He will be with you. He will strengthen you. He will bless you. Then he says, husbands, in the same way, just like with the wives, in the same way, meaning commit yourself to God, husbands, and follow Christ's example. We want to be leaders. We want to be the men that God calls us to be. Then the best thing we can do is get acquainted with Jesus Christ and how he led and how he you know, laid down an example and model for us to be imitated, which was in the context at the end of chapter 2. He says, husbands, in the same way, treat your wives with consideration. Consider it. Consider your wives' feelings. Consider her desires. Consider her perspective. Be considerate. A loving leader like Christ is not someone who leads and says, it's got to be my way without considering the thoughts and feelings of others around them. And God is simply saying, you want a healthy, good marriage and you want to be a leader? Then be considerate of your wife. Show her consideration. Listen to her and her thoughts And take it seriously and be attentive because maybe God may be speaking to you through your wife. No one knows you better than her. And if she's got to walk with God, as we're going to see, then she can tap into the same wisdom of God that you can. And maybe one of the reasons why he brought you two together is so that you could balance each other out and actually be stronger together than you ever could apart. So treat your wives with consideration, husbands, and, he says, as the weaker partner. Now, please, a lot of misunderstanding here about this. God in no way is saying that wives or women are inferior to men. Other places in the Bible clearly teach we're all equal. And he's not talking about, obviously, spiritually weaker, because there's many women that are spiritually stronger than their husbands or men. He's not talking about emotional weakness because there are many women that are emotionally stronger than men. And can I say, I don't even believe in studying this, though many people land here. I don't even think he's talking about physical weakness because can I tell you, there's some women stronger than me. Just saying. I think what he's saying is, guys, don't forget the vulnerable position she's putting herself in by being subject to you. In other words, she's, she's by being subject to you, she's placing herself in a vulnerable position. Don't take advantage of that position. Honor her for taking that position. Which in the context, notice what he goes right over to say then after that. He says, and show them honor. By the way, this means continually. <laughs> Continually show them honor. What's that mean? Continually show them 
your appreciation, how much you value them. In fact, in the original language, the word means precious and priceless. Guys, we need to continually show our wives how precious, how valuable, how much they are worth continually. That's being a leader. By the way, again, guys, these principles, gals, these principles aren't just for marriage. You want a good relationship? You want a good friendship? Then this is how we are to treat each other in our relationships with each other. And then he goes on to say, as fellow heirs of the grace of life. He's saying, and guys, consider your wives partners. Partners. Because again, heirs of the grace of life. In other words, they can tap into the same God that you can. They can tap into the same supernatural enablement and empowerment that you can. So instead of looking at this as an us versus them mentality... And it's me versus her or becoming combative all the time. How about learning as a loving leader to work with your wife or work with others? We're going to get to this in a minute. And and be one that understands this is a partnership. And we're going to learn to do this together, you see. And then talk about a sobering statement at the end for husbands and really for all of us. Notice what he says. In this way, nothing will hinder your prayers. Whoa! Whoa! Here's what I wrote down in my Bible, so that it would remind me. I wrote, A husband's relationship with his wife has a profound impact on his own spiritual fellowship with God. That's what Peter's saying. He says, So that nothing will hinder your prayers. In other words, Peter's saying, do you think God is going to be in a position where he wants to just shower you with his blessing and favor you when he sees you as a Christian husband treating your wife like dirt? I don't think so, Peter says. Don't expect this great close fellowship with God when he looks down and sees the way you're treating your wife. Peter's saying, even your prayer life will be hindered if you're not treating your wife the way God calls you to treat. Now, again, we're going to get to this in a minute. Folks, that's a principle for all of us in relationships. We we can't treat people badly and then expect to go to God in prayer and say, now God, do this for me and do that for me and bless me in this endeavor and show your favor and shower it over here whenever we've got relationships that are strewn throughout our life that are broken and damaged and we're the cause of it. That just don't work. And then Peter goes on to talk to the body of Christ. Because again, he's talking about relationships here. So notice what he says in verse 8. Finally, all of you, whether you're married, single, young, old, it doesn't matter. All of you are part of a spiritual family. And he says, I'm going to give you five things that are essential for healthy relationships in any family. In a physical family, in a spiritual family, in friendships, in relationships, it doesn't matter. These are essential. First of all, he says... Be harmonious. 
The word means to be cooperative in the midst of diversity. Because like the Bible teaches, we're all diverse. We have diverse gifts. We have, we come, even here at the Oasis, a small little church like the Oasis, when I began to get to know some of you that I didn't know when we started the church, and get to know some of you better as the years go on, I realized the unbelievable spiritual diversity that this group of people come from. And some of you come from this background, some of you come from this, and yet we're all coming together, hopefully under the worship and word of God, and we're going, you know what, there's a lot of diversity here, even in this church. But we can still be, with God, harmonious. We can be cooperative with one another. We can learn to get along with each other rather than always not getting along. And I think harmony is a great word because it's almost like he's picturing for us, in in a sense, an orchestra. And all of us may be playing a different instrument. But if we all come into a spiritual family or any situation where we're all trying to just play our own tune, obviously that creates a song that's not attractive to anybody. But when we're all willing to be led by the leadership that God places in front of us, and we're all saying, well, I play this instrument and you play that instrument, but we're all willing to come under the leadership of of God and learn to play together what beautiful music and harmony we can make when we do that. And so he's saying, learn to be harmonious. Learn to get along with people. Learn to be cooperative, even though there's always going to be diversity around you. Second, he says, be sympathetic. We could even use the word empathetic, because what this word in the original language means is being willing to enter into other people's situations. To instead of being aloof and cold and just going like, well, I'm sorry they're going through it, but I'm glad I'm not. It's like when you see somebody going through something, you go, man, what can I do? And and sometimes there's nothing we can necessarily do but pray for them. But it's huge for people, I think all of us to know, but there's somebody that if I need to call somebody, if I need to talk to somebody about something, if I just need to blow off, if I just need somebody to just come alongside of me and just spend some time with me, that's what it means, that we We feel for each other, that we've got empathy and sympathy. And and guys and gals, we're we're living in a world today that is going to continue to get colder and colder. And and the love of many, Jesus says, towards the end of time is going to grow cold. And people are going to just be the opposite. There's not going to be any sympathy and any empathy left in this world. And if it's going to come, it's going to come from those who know the Lord That's what kind of people we need to be. Then he says, also be affectionate. The Greek word here is Philadelphos, where obviously we get the, you know, city, Pennsylvania, Philadelphia. It means learn to love your brothers and sisters. Learn to love your spiritual family. And affectionate is an okay word, but to me it doesn't capture the totality of that Greek word, Philadelphos. It does mean to forge friendships with each other. To value our spiritual family. And to realize the importance of being brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Next, 
compassionate. Similar to sympathetic, it means to be tender-hearted, to be affected by what others are going through. So there's a lot of similarity here. And you know me, I was going to bring this up because I have before. Literally, in the Greek language, it means one who has great bowels. Because you see, the ancients, whenever there would be somebody in their life that they truly cared about, if something good or bad was happening to them, it would affect the bowels. That, that sort of, you know, the, those feelings, sometimes that's where they happen. And so that's why in the Greek culture, they would use the term great bowels to describe one who's compassionate, one who cares, one who's tender-hearted, not one who's cold. And though others may be going through something, again, it doesn't affect them. He says we should always be a people in Christ who are affected, whether it's we rejoice with those who are rejoicing or we're weeping with those who are weeping, but we should always be affected. Our Lord, God, was always affected. Do you remember the picture of him outside Jerusalem? Weeping, saying, oh, how I want to gather you. Just like a hen would her chicks. I want to bring you under my wing. I want to love on you. I want to have a relationship with you. But Jesus said, you wanted none of it. He was affected by relationships. Think about Judas when he went to betray Jesus with that kiss. And Jesus looks him in the eye and says, is this the way you're going to betray me? Is this the way you're going to stab me in the back? Is this how this is going to end, Judas? I think a lot of people think, well, Jesus, he wasn't affected by that. Oh, I think he was very affected by Judas. Here was a man who walked with him for three years on earth. Jesus had invested a lot in that man. And yet he turned around and sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. Jesus knows what relationships are like when they are hurtful. Jesus probably faced more rejection in his life than you and I will ever dream of facing. He understands to be hurt in relationships. But that doesn't mean he doesn't put himself out there. Because every day, thank God, Jesus puts himself out there for someone like Jeff Royce, who will continue to hurt Jesus over the years. And yet Jesus doesn't say, well, Jeff, that's it. I'm done with you. No. He continues to love on me in spite of sometimes what I do to him. And then finally, humble Why is humility important in relationships? Well, for one thing, if I'm a proud person, I'm pretty much going to do life on my own. I'm going to handle things on my own, and I'm not going to really think it's important to forge friendships and have healthy relationships in my life. I'm going to sort of stand on my own and do things on my own. And Peter's saying, you want to have good relationships in your life, even with God? then learn to be humble. Because that way, in your humility, you're going to be more willing to reach out to others and rely on them and lean on them and and do what's necessary by an investment and effort standpoint to build quality relationships in your life instead of just doing things on your own. So much here we could talk about. But he ends this way. 
Do not, verse 9, return evil for evil or insult for insult, but instead bless others. Wish them well, not bad. No matter what they've done. That's what Jesus would do, following in his steps. And then he says, instead bless others because you were called to inherit a blessing. God wants to give us things of highest value. He wants to bless us. That's what the word bless means, to do or give something of great value. And God wants to do that. And one of the ways he does that is through relationships. So let's get to that for just the next five minutes. Why are relationships so important to God? Listen to these verses from the lips of Jesus himself. He tells people who are following him, listen, if you come and you are getting ready to present your gift at the altar, it was language used of worship in Jesus' day, coming into the temple with a gift. Jesus says, if you remember that someone has something against you, you leave your gift at the altar. In other words, you stop worshiping me. You first go and be reconciled to your brother or sister. Then you come and offer your gift to me. Don't miss what Jesus is teaching there. He's saying, you all working things out in your relationships with each other is more important to me as God than worship. If you're going to come to worship me, and yet you've got all these relationships that are broken around you, you be the one to step up and try to fix it. Now, obviously, both sides. There's times where we can try to do everything in our power to reconcile with somebody and they don't want any parts of it. That's not where Jesus is coming from. What he's simply saying is, are you even making the effort? Are you even seeing the importance of relationships? Or are you one of those people like there's many in the world today, even amongst Christians, who just go, ah, relationships are disposable. Uh, we're not getting along anymore, so I'm just going to leave that one behind and move on. Jesus says, don't you realize when we get that kind of a mindset, first of all, it's going to affect our fellowship with God. And second, he's saying, don't you realize how much God values relationships? That's the whole reason why Jesus left the glories of heaven and took on a human body and died on the cross because God valued relationships with us so much that he was willing to die for that relationship. And we do God a disservice, even as his followers, who treat relationships with each other so lightly. That's no big deal. Just another broken relationship. I can walk away. God wants us to learn to work through things with each other. So that's why he values relationships. He says, how many of us even today would our worship have looked different if we would have followed what Jesus just said? If we'd have come to the house of God and the Holy Spirit would start talking to us about, you know, you, you really need to go back and try to make things right with so-and-so. Don't worry about worshiping at the Oasis today. For God, it's more important that you go and try to work things out with that person. Wow. So here's why relationships are so valuable to God. Five things. God built us for relationships. That's the first thing. When, when the Bible says he created us in his image, it's, it doesn't just mean a physical, emotional relationship. It means a spiritual level relationship. He created us for relationships. Uh, 
Animals obviously can have a physical and emotional attraction to each other, to people, whatever. They can't have a spiritual bond like you and I as human beings can with each other. And God said, even to Adam, it's not good that you're alone. That doesn't mean that it was all about marriage. He was simply saying, I never intended for human beings to be alone. That's why in the Old Testament, he called out his people Israel and says, I am requiring you to come together because I don't want you out there doing life on your own. And in the New Testament age, the church age, he created the church because if you listen to the teaching of scripture, he actually requires us as God's people to come together on a regular basis and meet together because he doesn't want us to get used to doing this on our own. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the custom of many are. He says, but so much the more, come together. As you see the day of Christ approaching. God built us for relationships. That's the way he designed it. So if we're not valuing relationships like God, we're missing part of the reason why God created us in the first place. Second, we are in a relationship with him. You might go, well, yeah, duh. But here's the the thing. If I struggle to have relationships that last that are meaningful, that are healthy with other human beings, guess what? My relationship with God is going to suffer. Because if I don't know how to do relationships with people I can see, I can touch, I can, you know, then I'm going to have a real hard time having any kind of meaningful relationship with God that I can't physically touch or see. And I might go through spurts where I feel really close to God, but then I'm going to feel just like I do with humans. Oh, I feel really close to them, but then uh, we're not getting along, we're, we're distant, all that. So that's why God says, I'm giving you everything you need to develop good horizontal relationships with each other. Because God understands the way you do your horizontal relationships is pretty much going to be the way it's reflected in the way you do your relationship with me. That's why he values relationships and doing them right. Because it's all about our relationship with him and learning how to do that well and better. Third, why does God place such a high priority on relationships? Because healthy relationships are a great witness and model for others. We already talked about that in the passage where Peter says you can win over maybe your husband who's disobedient to the word. This is why it's in the context that it's in about suffering and stuff and how we navigate life because the reality of our faith and how we do things can be a great witness in the world today and how our world today needs the witness of Christian marriages and Christian homes and Christian families that are stable. How we need that today. And then a model. We need models for people today within the church. Why? Because maybe even you and and I know many others, you didn't have the, the opportunity, I'll say, to grow up in a home where you had a good husband, your father, that was a model for you. you. You didn't have a good mom, gals, that you could look to as, well, this is the way a wife and mother is to, to, to do life. Now, many of us did, 
And we need to be very thankful for that. But obviously, God understands not everybody has that advantage, if you will, to grow up in a home where they had a husband and wife and a mom and dad that they could look to to see what's it like. So then they enter into marriages and family and raising children, and they don't have a clue how to do it because they never had that in their life. Where can they find that? In the church. That's another reason why we, because you gals can find women in this church that can be great role models for you. That's why I tell gals, get involved in the women's ministry, if nothing else, because you're going to find some gals that could be very encouraging and a great resource for you as you try to figure out how to be a wife and mother. And guys, get involved, if nothing else, in the men's ministry, because you will find some men here who know what it's like to be a godly husband and a godly father. And they can help you and encourage you along the way. That's why we need to do healthy relationships. Fourth, relationships are the proving ground of our faith. He talks here about women like Sarah who hoped in God. That's really where the rubber meets the road. We can talk all we want to as Christians about our faith and growing in our faith and whatever. You know the proving ground is? Relationships. That's really where it's fleshed out. It's not fleshed out by ourselves. Because most of what the Bible teaches us about living for Christ isn't done in isolation. It's done in concert with other human beings, whether they're saved or not. And so he's saying, that's the proving ground. That's why you need to be in relationships. Because that will really prove your faith and show your growth over the years. It's how you do relationships with each other. Finally, relationships are one of God's greatest blessings. And I know, just like myself, I'm talking to a group of people and out there are people just like me, just like my wife and others, that you have been severely hurt by people in your life. And some of them even supposedly Christians that have really hurt you. And like the natural thing to do, the turtle just sort of retreats back into its shell and says, in order that I don't get hurt like that again, I'm just not putting myself out there. And all I can tell you is God says, I know it hurts. I get hurt every day, millions of times over through relationships. He said, but when you find good relationships, when you find that one or two friends, when you find a healthy relationship in your life, it is such a blessing. In fact, that's what Peter means when he says at the end of verse 9, we were called to inherit a blessing. And in this context, he's saying, Christian, don't you realize one of the greatest gifts a value that God wants to give you in your life on this side of heaven, our people, our relationships, that's one of the greatest ways God blesses us. And if we shut ourselves off to people totally and put those walls up, then, yeah, we might not ever get hurt again, but we're also never going to experience the blessing of good friends and good relationships either. And I just want to say, I'm so thankful for the relationships I have with you. I'm so thankful that we have a church that's a family. We're a family. 
That's what we need to be. That's what we are called to be. And even in our, I want you to know, in our leadership, unlike a lot of churches where there's always, you know, power struggles and fighting and backbiting. And and, and folks, even if people go to that church and they're not part of the leadership, they can tell. You can sense it. You can sense if you walk into a home and go, oh, man, they've just had a fight. You can tell. And what's so cool and what has been such a blessing for me in the first four years of this church is whether you're talking about our staff, like Nicole and Crystal and Pastor Chad, whether you're talking about our elders, Dave, Scott, Tony, whether you're talking about our ministry leaders that we had all up here, I'm telling you, guys, we're a family. And for the most part, we get along wonderfully with each other. I mean, I've told these guys before, you know, I've been in hundreds, if not thousands, of staff meetings over the years and elder meetings and whatever. And sometimes you walk away from there, those type of things in other churches, and you go, man, there wasn't a lot of Christ in those meetings. How terrible. I want you to know, I walk away from meeting with the people that I get the privilege to work with, and I go, oh, I wish I had more time with them. It's just so cool. Because they're such a blessing. And that's what God says relationships are all about. You all are a blessing to me. I just hope and pray over the years that I can be as much a blessing and encouragement to you as you all are to me. And that we continue to build this church on the word of God and on our worship of God. That that's what it's all about. It's about bringing people not only into a right relationship with God. But really showing people what right relationships with each other need to be all about. Let's pray. God, thank you for the opportunity that we have to have a relationship with God. It's not about religion. It's not about ritual. The message of the Bible is that we as human beings can have a relationship with the living God of the universe. And yet, Lord, we understand today very clearly that our relationships with each other are clearly going to reflect the condition many times of our relationship with you. And if we struggle to have healthy relationships with other human beings, we're going to struggle through the years to have a healthy, meaningful, lasting, sustaining, vibrant relationship with you, our God. So I pray today that we would all make a commitment in relationships today, that we would see the importance and value of relationships from your perspective as God. And that, God, we would leave here more committed than ever to living with open hands, being willing to bless others, to voluntarily be selfless in our lives, and to forge friendships and relationships that not only will last in this life, but last throughout eternity. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.